I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. The podcast. podcast. Yay. And I'm not Theo this week. And I can't remember who I'm not because it's been so, <laughs> it's been so long, long for us. Um, oh, my but God. I'm not Juliet, everybody. Yeah, that's true. And uh, we're not on vacation um, this week. So the first time, what? I don't know when the last time was that we did a podcast. But um, thanks, everyone, for sticking with us, assuming you are sticking with us. Um, we've got some fun stuff to talk about this week. But before I get into that, I want to know what's shaking bacon? Um, I've given you all of the real bacon off the air. So what I could say <laughs> on the air is uh, nothing. Things going on. <laughs> Big old boring. You uh, bought a, a, a new oven. That's exciting. It sounds like a really nice one. I bought a new oven. It is um, not a commercial, everybody. GE profiled. Nice, <laughs> nice range. I'm really excited for it. Yay. I'll be hooking it up myself today. Later, if you find a news story about a gas explosion in Austin, you will know it was oh, me. God. Don't even say uh, that. Oh, it'll be fine. It, you flip a switch, you screw in a hose, you're done. It, yeah. Easy peasy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel guilty talking about any bacon because I haven't been to Stockholm and New York and I can't even remember all the Joshua other places. Tree. Colorado. Oh yeah. I did go to Denver. That's yeah. Right. So um, you've yeah, got a lot to share. Let's ask you. Um, so the most important thing that's happened to me is that I got my face lasered on Friday and now my face is super, super <laughs> puffy and I, I can hardly move my face. And it's, uh, the, the worst reaction I've had, uh, it's, it's like the fourth time I've gotten my face lasered for, for rosacea and, uh, it's working pretty well, but, um, but I, except for I'm super puffy this time afterwards and they gave me steroids and everything. And I don't think it's the steroids making my face puffy, but it could be, but anyway, it's supposed to prevent that. So. Um, so that's that's my big news. But I did go to Stockholm uh, in. Uh, but the the October. face lasering is bigger news than Stockholm. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's affecting me the most right now. I mean, Stockholm that's old news. So um, Stockholm was wonderful though, and I recommend it to um, anyone who has any interest in going anywhere. Um, it's very it's it's like Norway in that it's clean. Um, everyone speaks English. The food is great. The people are great. The um, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The old town part is super, super charming and quaint. Um, the coffee is great. I can't say enough good things about it. It's a little bit expensive, but what's not these days? Everything is super expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you there's some some airfare deals to Stockholm and, and Norway right now. I was noticing on on going. Uh, if you have going, um, you can get some like four hundred, four or five hundred dollar flights to to Scandinavia right now. So check it out. That's I went to New York. Crazy. I know, right? Um, and I went to New York, and New York was even more expensive than Scandinavia. New York was crazy expensive, um, but we had a really good time. And um, Brent's got um, 
some problems with his feet, so he doesn't walk too much. Uh, he can't walk too much because it hurts. So we took a taxi everywhere, which is, I think, one reason it was super expensive. But um, but it was it was fun. We had a great time. We went to like all the museums, and did all the things. And I think the most interesting thing that maybe one of the most interesting things that we saw was, and I was really surprised at this. I, I didn't really want to go, but I was like, why not? We're in the neighborhood. We went to the World Trade Center Memorial. Have uh -huh. you been there? No. Uh... It is not at all what I expected. I expected it to be like super cheesy and maudlin and, you know, yeah. overdone. And, and it's not. It's really tasteful and, and sort of understated and, and moving. And I really um, appreciated the, the work and the thought that went into it uh, on my behalf so that I could come and see it uh, a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, so that was cool. And then we went to Joshua Tree to hear a band or some bands play, which was really fun. Had a good time doing that. And then last weekend, I think it was, I went to Denver to see another band that I really like um, at the Mission Ballroom. And that was fun. It was really crowded. I did not expect this band to have such a big following in Denver, but they had previously done last year, I think, a concert at Red Rocks, which was really um, very... Uh, it was it was really great, and the people that were there talked about it a lot, and I think hyped it up. So people wanted to go to this concert to see if it was going to be just as good. I don't know if it was or not because I didn't see Red Rocks, but it was really this concert was really great. They have a lot of really fantastic sets, and the lighting was amazing. I've never seen such lighting, um, even at uh, like Broadway plays and things like that. The lighting wasn't lighting for this was on a par with that. So um, yay! That's I think what I've been up to, in a nutshell. Yeah, this dovetails very nicely into our topic today, right? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Because it's about music, and I'm always a little shy about music as an industry because it wasn't my thing. It was your thing for sure, right? Uh -huh. um, and and case in point, you actually spent airplane money to go to a place to see a band perform. Like, Not the first time. I went to Austin to see that band uh, with you. Yeah, and so you introduced me to the new pornographers, whom uh -huh. I had heard of before. Like, I probably uh -huh. knew one of... I don't even know that I knew one of her songs, but I'd heard one of her songs, right? Uh -huh. And I loved them. They were they were great. And so I it. have always really admired and valued your opinions and <laughs> thoughts on music, right? Uh -huh. Um up until the Denver band, because when you sent me that <laughs> I clip, say, I was like, what is this? <laughs> oh, you would have loved it. The show was so good. It was really And really I have to well believe done. you, because cause I do, right? You would have loved it. But, but based um, on the yeah. four seconds of that one song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listening to the music is not the same as seeing the show. It's just one of those bands that you have to go see live to really get the full effect. So um, if they come to Austin, um, I'll come out and make you go. Don't uh, threaten me. <laughs> so yeah so talking about rock and roll um which is a big scam uh the, the music industry is just a nightmare and uh, this is one example of it i think uh, so uh jan venner who uh co-founded rolling stone magazine of course the biggest rock and roll magazine of all time um he was its editor or editorial director until 2019 and he also co-founded the rock and roll hall of fame and was himself actually inducted into the Hall of Fame as a non-performer in 2004. No bias, I'm sure. Um, his influence over who became famous in part via Rolling Stone magazine and then by what stars are memorialized in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame absolutely cannot be overstated. Um, he was a big name, uh, outsized influence, um, 
etc. And this past September, he was on a book tour for his latest book, which is called The Masters, um, and includes interviews of only white male musicians, so uh, implying that only white males are, are masters. He made a controversial statement telling the New York Times that the fact that he only included white male musicians, so he's digging himself a deeper hole than he already dug himself, he said, was not a deliberate selection. Insofar as the women, just none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. And he went on to say, it's not that they're inarticulate, although go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janis Joplin. Please be my guest. You know, Joni was not a philosopher of rock and roll. She didn't, in my mind, meet that test, not by her work, not by other interviews she did. So he basically dissed every single woman in rock. Um, and then he similarly dismissed black artists, saying he got a sense of how they would speak by listening to their music and reading other interviews with them. He said that black performers of the time were not in the zeitgeist. He said, you know, Stevie Wonder, a genius, right? I suppose when you use a word as broad as masters, the fault is using that word. Maybe Marvin Gaye or Curtis Mayfield? I mean, they just didn't articulate at that level. The people I interviewed were kind of the philosophers of rock. So, I, I mean, is he going senile? Well, uh, Cindy Lauper implied or said that he was going senile. Um, and Leslie Gray Streeter of the Baltimore Banner wrote, Never mind that rock was based in black music. That Venner's former magazine's very name came from a 1950s song by black blues singer Muddy Waters. That Mayfield and Wonder were writing elegiac opuses about the social ills of the time, which qualify as deep things about a generation, one of the criteria Venner named. I guess racism and the inner city weren't in his zeitgeist. And then adding insult to injury, uh, Venner went on to say, just for public relations sake, maybe I should have gone and found one black and one woman artist to include here that didn't measure up to that same historical standard just to avert this kind of criticism. But he didn't. Uh, instead, he included interviews with musicians he was friends with. And as he said, Mick Jagger, he didn't just give interviews to anybody, and he still doesn't. It's because we were friends. I got him to do it. I had a particular kind of relationship with Bob Dylan. Jerry Garcia, we were old buddies from years ago. So it really works. I mean, he couldn't have said any worse things if he had tried. I, it's, it's tone deaf. It's, it's terrible. tone deaf. And he's never been a nice person or a smart person, in my opinion. But this is really just dumb. Well, um, as I bragged before we started, I know nothing about music, so I had never heard of him. Oh, that's Rolling good. I'm Stone. Glad hasn't heard of him. Yes, right. <laughs> the magazine. Yes. Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Uh, I'm. I would have a hard time telling you what band Jerry Garcia belonged to. Um, but really? I'm pretty sure it's the Grateful Dead. Yes, you're right. Okay, cool. Good uh, job. Thank you. Yes, but could I name an album or a song? No, like none of none of the people that he interviewed for the Masters are in my zeitgeist. I the Rolling Stones. Right. I, I mean, they're 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 boomer rock, really. Well, and older than even us. Yeah, and that's what this. I mean, this is many things, right? Yeah, but. Uh, Rolling Stone was such a cultural influence on the culture um, for decades. Oh, yeah. And and this guy and that generation yeah. and that culture are dying out and going away. Um, things have changed, but yeah. he hasn't gotten the memo. 
No, no. And he's not um, on the Rolling Stone. He's not the editor anymore. He hasn't been since 2019. And uh, and I think he was, I know he was kicked off the of the board for his statements of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I think he was sort of backing off or, or they were backing him off even before that. So um, I'll talk a little bit about um, the, the um, demographics of the people who have been uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in, in a minute, but uh, I think things have been getting better since he left. So yeah, absolutely, to your point, um, he's sort of a dinosaur. And even though Rolling Stone has um, improved somewhat since he left, uh, he's not kept up with it. He himself, no, not not at all. Um, no. And it's it's all, geez, my favorite word this week. It's all unfortunate. Um, it is unfortunate. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, Vernon Reed of the uh, black rock band Living Color wrote on Twitter that Venner could have just titled his book My Super Talented White Dude Multimillionaire Friends. And uh, the Black Music Action Coalition said he's shown what many industry leaders still think about black and female musicians, and his choice of words are an affront to the creativity and genius exhibited by so many artists. Yeah, I mean, it's not even that he said the quiet part out loud. He said the quiet part out loud to the New York Times during a recorded interview where the reporter, I listened to the interview um, because, you know, my job is doing research on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the reporter did stop him and did say, hey, I'll let you rethink what you just said. And yeah. may- no, I don't need to rethink it at all because this is true. It wasn't even like, this is my opinion. And why it matters is that this guy who's thinking is very white male centric was a gatekeeper of the culture. Yeah, yeah, and and unsurprisingly, um, given given the opinions that he's held, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has also been criticized for the relatively few women and minority artists who've been inducted. Um, and uh, I think by 2019, something like eight percent of the people in the in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were women. So uh, that's like I said, unsurprising given what he said. Um, and after he did talk. After he talked to the New York Times, he did backtrack on his statements pretty quickly, I think within hours, and has apologized several times, including by his publisher, who I think is Little Brown, or Hachette, which is part of Little Brown. Um, But he was removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame board, and an appearance at a literary festival was canceled, and I believe all of his upcoming promotional events for the book were canceled by his publisher. So, um, obviously, they didn't trust him to speak in public about his book, and I think his book sales did not do anywhere near uh, the numbers that they had expected them to do. So no. good. It's number 7,400 <laughs> on Amazon's uh, bestseller. It's not even on the bestseller list. Uh, wow. On the Amazon list of books. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, didn't, so he didn't help himself. Well, he didn't help his legacy. He's got all the money in the world. He doesn't need this book. He doesn't book. care. And he said in, in the interview that he doesn't give a fuck. So I guess Clearly. this is what happens when you don't give a fuck. <laughs> your book doesn't do so well. Um, but, but you've got enough money to live off of for the rest of your life and probably several other villages of people as well. Um, but yeah, so we can talk about the apology unless you've got anything else to add. Well, a little bit I do, and it's more, okay. um, it's not so much factual as it is, I, I'm just so disappointed 
And I think that is a word that could be applied to the whole boomer generation. Yeah. Um, I, I listened to several podcasts um, because as it turns out, Jan Wenner uh, has conducted a lot of interviews with a lot of people and I mm-hmm. wanted to hear from him directly. And yeah, he is definitely one of those rich, powerful guys who knows he's a rich, powerful guy. Yeah. But at the same time, he did something that was pretty fucking amazing and got super lucky. Um, mm-hmm. And it was in the right time, right place for to be culturally relevant for so long. Um, and and then it's and there's so much hope and promise in the beginning of Rolling Stone that mm-hmm. that just fizzles out if with this New York Times interview. So what I was drawn to was the failure to live up to what we started off to do. Right. And so allow me to share with you the opening um, couple of paragraphs about the creation of the magazine Rolling Stone as published in Rolling Stone magazine, January 6th of 2017. Um, But I think it really encapsulates the era and and then I have a then I just have a general question, right? And that general question mm-hmm. is: If you start off believing in these beliefs and these principles, how can you discount women and people of color for decades? Yeah. Right. So here we go. Um, in early 1967, a young law firm employee named Angie Kuchurkenko came home to her apartment in San Francisco's Haight Ashbury neighborhood and found her roommate's boyfriend, a 21-year-old Berkeley dropout named Jan Werner, sprawled on the couch and strumming an acoustic guitar. He had a big idea he couldn't wait to share. He sat up, put the guitar aside, and said, I want to start a rock and roll magazine. Kucherenko, remember? What a name. I'm sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. I said, rock and roll? Isn't that a passing phase? (laughs) Not to Werner. Um, For him, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, and local bands like the Grateful Dead were hugely important cultural figures who deserved an outlet that took them seriously. There was nothing called rock journalism as a profession, Renner says. If you picked up Billboard, you might get a sense of the music business, but you wouldn't keep it as part of your regular diet if you were interested in rock and roll. Uh, Let's see. A well-established local newspaper columnist happened to share Werner's passion. Ralph J. Gleason of the San Francisco Chronicle. The pipe-smoking 48-year-old had been writing about jazz for decades, but he'd begun devoting space to artists like Dylan and the Dead. In October 1965, uh, Wenner was taking in a concert at San Francisco's Fisherman Wharf put on by local promoters, the Family Dog, when he approached Gleason. He said, I know who you are. He'd been reading what I'd been writing in Berkeley's student newspaper, The Daily Call. We really hit it off, and I became a regular visitor to his house. His whole family took me in. Winter began envisioning a magazine to chronicle the rapidly growing rock scene, and he enlisted Gleason as his partner. The pair tossed around names like The Electric Typewriter and The New Times before settling on Rolling Stone. The inspiration came from an essay Gleason wrote in The American Scholar titled Like a Rolling Stone After the Dylan Song. His subject in that article was the significance of rock and the wisdom of youth. 
Despite having a great title, a smart concept, and a partner with a huge Rolodex, Wenner didn't have a cent to get his magazine off the ground. When he approached me about being a staff photographer, I said, that sounds like fun, tell me more, uh, recalls Baron Woolman. He said, well, first of all, do you have $10,000 you'd like to invest? Woolman mm -hmm. did not, but he came up mm -hmm. with an idea that he'd work in exchange for stock in the company and the rights to his photograph, uh, in exchange for the rights to his photograph, and that deal paid dividends in the years and decades to come. Wenner put together a small group of investors, including the parents of his soon-to-be wife, Jane Schneidelman, um, his own parents, Gleason, Joan Roos, a college buddy. Basically, he raises $7,500, which in today's money would be near $70,000. Wow. He and his staff moved into a loft at 746 Brannan Street. That uh -huh. would do. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. I mean, I don't know where 746 Brandon is, but I know that. You know Brandon Street? Yeah. Uh, let's see. So they got a free loft space uh, in exchange if they use the owner's printing services. Um, and so they said yes to that. So it's got this sense of like a bunch of young kids getting together and putting on a show. Let's create mm -hmm. a magazine. We'll mm -hmm. work for free. Let's get money from people and we're going to get this thing up and going. In September of 67, Wenner walked up the wooden stairs of the printing press um, shop into the loft with a group of volunteers. Um, it was dusty. There was hardly anything there at all. I had a feeling this was a tabula rasa, a clean slate. This was a bunch of kids that... Oh, sorry. This wasn't a bunch of kids that started a newspaper. It was Jan Wenner getting the people around him to realize his dream. Um, so it goes on a bit more about how they really were not close to the music industry epicenters. They weren't in New York. They weren't in LA. They were in San Francisco and San Francisco was creating the hippie culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they were outside of the mainstream music industry and they were, they had the freedom to be honest and they established a reputation within the city of being a good magazine that was um, relevant. Um, let's see here. And, you know, they, they gave Annie Leibovitz her start in, yeah. in photography. Right. In 1971, she's 21 years old. They've been open for four years uh, and wow. and they let her do her thing. And she came on to um, become quite prominent as a photographer and move away from Rolling Stone. But I mean, it definitely helped establish her career. Um, and then Gleason, the co-founder, died in 1975. Um, but he did have something to say that I thought was really relevant. Um, in the first issue of Rolling Stone, in a column entitled Perspectives, Gleason, who, again, was a co-founder, he was the 48-year-old jazz critic, um, Gleason lambasted the TV networks for not devoting more airtime to soul singers like Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, and Jackie Wilson. They are mm -hmm. black, he wrote, and in America, in the echelons of power which control these things, color is a handicap. 
It's so sad that just in the very beginning of the Rolling Stone magazine, you had this sort of insight and this type of a person who had this grasp on what was happening. Rolling Stone might have been a very different magazine had Gleason lived um, beyond 1975, but he didn't. And Jan Wenner did and became rich and powerful and successful. And just like what happened, well, okay, now now I'm going to take a broad brush and I'm just going to paint (laughs) every artist ever. But with fame and success and money, you lose your integrity. It happens. It happens. So, um, yeah, that's, that is what I have in terms of uh, Rolling Stone and my thoughts around Jan Wenner. Um, he did a lot. He was culturally significant. And at the same time, he didn't do enough. Yep, absolutely. And um, he uh, kind of... And even, he's gay and Jewish. He's gay and Jewish? I didn't know that. He's Jewish. Uh, and the Jewish community in San Francisco was very small in the 60s and 70s. Um, and uh, came out as gay or at least bisexual uh, 18 years into his marriage with his uh, wife, uh, his Jane, wife. his now ex-wife. Um, yeah. And he is remarried and his current husband and he have three children. So oh. it's... How? How that's do you have that mindset? Yeah. Yeah. How do you not see what's right in front of your face? Um, that's a very topical conversation, which we won't have. But yeah. <laughs> but we can talk about the apology instead. Let's, let us do that. Yeah. Because. All right. Um, I mean, I I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Because his statement was tone deaf, his interview with Rolling uh, with New York Times is tone deaf, and oh. it is apology. Let's hit it. All right, he said in my interview with the New York Times, I made comments that diminished the contributions, genius, and impact of Black and women artists, and I apologize wholeheartedly for those remarks. The Masters is a collection of interviews I've done over the years that seem to me to best represent an idea of rock and roll's impact on my world. They were not meant to represent the whole of music and its diverse and important originators, but to reflect the high points of my career and interviews I felt illustrated the breadth and experience in that career. They don't reflect my appreciation and admiration for myriad totemic, world-changing artists whose music and ideas I revere and will celebrate and promote as long as I live. I totally understand the inflammatory nature of badly chosen words and deeply apologize and accept the consequences. Now, my first response to that is bullshit Uh that's just pure bullshit um to say that it was a book about rock and roll's impact on his life well he's rolling stone he's the rock and roll hall of fame so he has more than just you know little old jan venner to to uh what's the word i'm looking for um I don't know. But it's more. It's more than just him. He he can't isolate the his own impact um, to just one person. He is rock and roll to a lot of people. So um, bullshit is my my gut feeling. But let's look at the um, the criteria that we have for our apologies. So was there an expression of regret? No, no expression of regret. Was there an explanation of what what went wrong? Well, kind of. I mean, he did say that it was. Um, 
just his world that he was talking about, not rock and roll as a whole. So I have to give that a grudging yes. Um, was there an acknowledgement of responsibility? Kind of. He did say that he did say those things. So, okay, he made comments. That's fine. He diminished the contributions and impact of black and women artists. Yes, he did say that. Was there a declaration of repentance? Kind of. Um, kind of. Kind of, there's, yeah. Yeah, there was no offer of repair. He didn't say what he was going to do. He said, I will celebrate and promote as long as I live, the the um, women and black and people of color. But he hasn't said, well, I'm going to go try to influence the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to admit more people who are uh, more diverse. He didn't say he was going to start a new magazine that would you know, focus on these people. Uh, nothing like that. And there was no request for forgiveness. So, let's see. If I had to rate this, I mean, as an apology itself, just on face face value, I would give it a five. But um, my gut feeling and my gut response to this apology, I'd give it a zero. What do you think? So, I when I read the apology, my first uh, my first thought was "fuck you." Yeah. Right. Um, and it's that bit of "I will accept the consequences." Yeah. Oh, honey, we don't get a say in whether or not we accept consequences. They shower <laughs> down upon us, whether we want them to or not. That's the definition of the word consequence. Right. Um, yeah, so <laughs> so hooray, you accept them. That's cool. Yeah, good for you. Um, and then I thought about it a little bit more. It's, and yeah, you know, like some of the things are there. And it is also... <sighs> I so it's not a genuine apology. It's issued after he gets backlash. And he probably didn't even write it like so many apologies that we look at here. And he may not have written it um or he may have just casually dashed it off. Um, GPT. It's got a little bit of that British um tinge to it. I you know, I he doesn't say unreservedly, but uh, mm-hmm. there's a piece in there um which which is a a British formula of I I apologized without reservation, right? Yeah, unreservedly um, or whatever yes. you said, yeah. Um, so my rating, uh, so I give it a four. Uh, I was originally going to give it a three, but after listening to your analysis, which I should just sit down and also do that same thing, like, here's the list, did he hit it? But <laughs> I'd rather just uh, come at it emotionally. <laughs> Um, so I, I give it a four. I raise it up from a three. Um, okay. He does he does hit some of the things. What is missing is, yeah, sure, sincerity is missing, but mm-hmm. reparation. And so yeah. what is it that you're going to do? And that line about I will, I will celebrate and promote. No, you fucking won't exactly. because you didn't fucking do it in the first place. Exactly. And when in, in an interview with, again, I will say the New York Times, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a big newspaper, America. Um, when, when a reporter says, I'll let you rethink that, you need to shut the fuck up and yeah. take a step back and realize something big just happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and so is the history of Rolling Stone forever tarnished? It's diminished. Yeah, I think to the people in the know, it was never that big. I mean, not that big, but it was. It's it was never that pure or the, the untarnished uh, in the first place because 
you know, we can see what what they focused on. But I agree with you. I think that even more so, um, certainly Jan Venner's reputation has been tarnished. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. This this will be on his tombstone. Yeah. Jan Winner, who famously gave an interview to the New York Times where he discounted <laughs> women and people of color, um, the articulation. Thereof. 8% of Hall of Fame inductees were women. So um, screw you, Jan Winner. Um, all right. So we don't like him. Um, uh, so, oh, so what's your overall rating for the apology? Oh, um, I'm going to give it a four. Well, my overall rating is a zero because it okay. is, it's fuck you, Jan. Um, I'm really glad you're rich. I'm really glad you have very famous friends. I'm really glad uh, that you've both been able to benefit off of each other, right? Didn't yeah. hurt their record sales to be to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Sure. Um, so it's wonderful that you're each feeding each other's egos. Great. Um, are these people talented? Sure. Are they my kind of talented in that, like, it appeals to me? Not really. Yeah, and are they the only talented people in the world? No, for sure. No, like, huh, let's see. Let's think of one woman who is of equal stature with Mick Jagger in terms of Tina Turner. I mean, there's so many uh, just that come to mind that that probably never got a cover on the cover of the Rolling Stone magazine and uh, are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, that's sad. all right, so zero average for this apology, and we say screw you, Jan Venner. Um, hope you uh, do what you said and celebrate and promote the uh, diverse cultural uh, music that you say you will, but we don't expect anything from you. So no, no, talk no. about expectations. Um, do we have an apology expected, or a who's sorry now from you this week, Theo? Um, I have an apology expected, and it's from a okay. volcano in Iceland. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, once upon a time, we James and I were stranded because of a volcanic eruption in Iceland. and You were? Oh, we were, yeah. I didn't know you were. Oh, my God. Yes. It was uh, like so 10 years ago. It was great. We ago. went, uh, we were going to go to Venice in uh-huh. Italy, uh-huh. and uh, we were changing planes in uh, Denmark, and uh-huh. all the flights had been canceled. Oh my god! Except for ours, except oh my god, for our flight really? to Venice. Yep, and and wow. I swear to God, while we were watching the screen, our flight was due to leave. Right, we mm-hmm. were like running off of whatever flight we'd gotten off of to our connecting flight to Venice, mm-hmm. and as we're running down the terminal, James stops and he's looking at the screen, and you can just see all the planes going from departure time to canceled. Big red X's canceled. Oh right? my god! It was like Vegas, like they were just chick 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 chick, and he was. Like, oh my gosh, we need to get going down to that gate and our flight's not going to be canceled. They can't be canceled. We got onto the plane and we landed in Venice and then we were there for nine days. Wow. Originally, it only intended to be there for three. Um, That's wonderful, though. What a wonderful place to be. Yes and no. Really? And more no than yes. Okay, so thoughts about Venice. And this isn't the apology. It's the volcano owes me the apology, not Venice. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, every restaurant was either pizza or spaghetti. They were all set to cater to Americans, and it was literally pizza or spaghetti. Um, very small. There wasn't a lot to do. Uh, we went to so the Guggenheim, got a museum, Peggy Guggenheim's home, um, which is a modern yeah, art museum. A- 
and yeah. walked around, uh, went to Murano, bought some glass, but mostly we just walked around Venice and and spent most of our time being worried about, are we trapped here forever? When can we get home? <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Everybody in town, because Venice is nothing but a town of tourists, right? Was struggling to get out. So all the rental cars were gone. Pardon? Oh, was yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Um, so, so bad. And now seeing that there's more uh, volcanic activity happening in Iceland, I totally expect there to be a massive super volcano that explodes. So I do expect the volcano in Iceland to be issuing an apology. And I would also expect that air travel will be grounded for a couple of hours. Uh, I'm glad I'm done with my Scandinavian travel for now. Uh, because I think that the uh, the absolutely the volcano is going to blow. Uh, they've already evacuated one town, and I think I saw a TikTok of a, a street that had started to collapse from the volcano in that town. So if that was a legitimate TikTok, then yes, things are things are definitely starting to act up. Yes. So apology expected from an inanimate object. Well, well actually, it's an animate object, but it's not <laughs> conscious object. Anyway, that volcano is going to be saying, sorry, Theo. I'm not yeah. going anywhere. I, I stay home all the time. So where am I going? <laughs> That's good. You don't have to get stuck anywhere this time. Yeah. And I'm glad uh, you're home so that yeah. you won't get stuck anywhere. And what about you? Apology expected or who's sorry now? Apology expected. Um, there's a Chevron station on Van Ness Street in San Francisco here that installed this sonic device that um, they said it's to prevent loiterers, which means homeless people. Um, so uh, they they said that it was installed to prevent loiterers who might harass or threaten its employees, but it's just to keep the homeless people away. Um, but the noise has kept the neighbors awake. So um, apparently the noise is like a high-pitched whine that goes off at random between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m., which um, just seems like not so bad hours, but still, why would you do that to your neighbors? Um, Chevron Station, that's insane. And the police said the only thing that the owners of the, the condo building next door can do is to contact an attorney. So I'm expecting an apology from Chevron, uh, who so far um, has refused to respond to this uh, complaint so that's my apology expected this week and they will not be apologizing and they will be raising the price of gasoline probably yes both will happen and they will keep their stupid machine going all night i'm glad i don't have a gas station next to me having lived next to a public business Uh there is nothing you can do Uh about it at all you can hire all the attorneys you want um Maybe you get some concessions, but you're never happy. Um, yeah. And that's, I thought initially you were going to say they installed a sonic device to keep teenagers away because there's a frequency that oh, yeah. only yeah. young children, younger children can hear. Younger people can hear. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is for the homeless. So uh, apparently everyone can hear it. I was going to say, like, just hire somebody. But I guess you're paying an hourly rate versus buying a megaphone. Right. Um, yeah. Now nah, I don't have a solution for them. Nope, don't either. Hope Usually it works I have an answer for everything. <laughs> so are we going to do another podcast next week? I think I'm going to be around. Are you going to be around? Or do you I'm know? around. I am going nowhere for the longest time. Um, Me too. Um, my travel's done for the year, I think. So uh, we can do. we can podcast our hearts off. 
Yay, America, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and Thanksgiving is coming up, so it'll be time to get our Ooh. our eyes focused on holiday apologies. Sure, that sounds I'm stupid. I'm so excited. But what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Do you know? I do know. Um, James has a friend named Allison who lives in Cape Town, and she's coming up to spend Thanksgiving with us. It'll be her first nice. American Thanksgiving. And, um, well, actually, I don't know. Maybe she's had Thanksgiving in Cape Town or around the uh-huh. world somewhere because people do throw Thanksgiving dinners um, outside of the U.S. But, yeah. uh, no, and there's nothing better to me than having somebody who's never experienced a Thanksgiving dinner before. Oh, my God, that would be so much pressure for me. Because everything you do, they just accept as this is how it's done and it's always done. They have no idea. Like, oh, the turkey's always supposed to be this brown. Yeah. You know, it's black and turkey. Awesome. That sounds great. I don't know what we're doing. I think we're just going to hang out and and, uh, have some corn roast, some vegan corn roast, as as we usually do. Uh, That's what Thanksgiving is all about. It's about hanging out and eating something that you only eat around Thanksgiving time. Yeah, exactly. We don't eat cornrows the rest of the year, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I, I've already, I'm going to say I won the battle, but every year James tries to reinvent Thanksgiving with like, let's have prime rib. No. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> How about fish? How about no? How about not? It's Thanksgiving. It's yeah. not dinner. It's not about the food being good. It's about having the same thing every year. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So, um, well, on that thankful note, don't trip potato chips and stay cool cucumbers and whatever else I might say that I've forgotten. I think that's it. Other than I I get to say goodbye. Yay. Goodbye, everybody. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>